Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Tara Beth Leach. And I'm Mark Quanstrom. And friends, we have been reflecting over the last several weeks. Originally, we thought it was going to be three episodes Mm -hmm. um, talking about women in ministry, and then it turned into four, and now we're on to episode five. Why? Because this is a complex topic and an important one. Um, Our hope over the last several weeks has been that the women listening, that their imaginations would be nourished. We heard from Um, Many different women who experienced their call to ministry later in life, um, which was really stunning. Uh, One of the things, yeah, Mm -hmm. one of the things that we're talking about before recording is how unusual that is for men, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was so instructive, and I'm so glad we did this uh, because uh, I don't think the typical male pastor ever considers the difficulty that right. women have in ministry. Right. I mean, we theoretically get it, but then to hear the specificity mm-hmm. uh, that our guests talked about was really, really helpful to me. Yeah, right. And, you know, oftentimes uh, men in ministry, um, their call is nurtured so early in life because they have built in um, mentors within their local churches, almost always, right? right? The the pastors are, are ma- males, their elders are men, the worship leaders are men. And so it's not till later in life for women that they grow in their awareness of the God-given gifts that God has given them, um, that their call is then nurtured. Well, that's one of the things that uh, struck me was um, how, un- how I'm going to say this, how unreceptive or how unable to believe they have a call mm-hmm. so many of these women experienced. I yeah. said that really they awkwardly. All, all, all three of them fought it. All three of them. Didn't know it was a possibility to be called into pastoral ministry. Right. They they really struggled to believe it. And then even when they started to become aware of their call, the different challenges that they experienced because uh, and, and the challenges, in a lot of ways, di- connected to them disqualifying themselves. That was another uh, th- theme in all three. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, your co-host called it out. Mm-hmm. You disqualified yourself, she said to Melissa. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty gutsy. gutsy. Mm-hmm. But women do disqualify themselves. They do. They do. And a lot of that is because of the cultural pressures placed on women. Um, women have been nurtured... Um, in local churches um, and in cultures that has told them that if you are a woman that um, has children, that you shouldn't be able to have the capacity to be in ministry, that you ought to be home, um, that 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 should be the male's role so when there's the, littles at home. So in the second episode with Maria, she mentioned that she had to merge. I think that's the word she used, merge, Yes, being a mom yep. and a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, I never think about that. I never thought about that. No. Needing to merge fatherhood with being a pastor. No. I think I probably did merge being a father, but I never had to think consciously about what that meant. It didn't take a lot of emotional effort for you to no. get there. No, because my place was the church. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, I was a very attentive father. I was a hands-on father, but 
the expectation on fathers yeah. toward children is not the same as expectations on mothers toward children. No. I mean, there's been so many articles out there talking about the mental load that women carry mm-hmm. within the home. And that goes for moms um, or wives. Uh, you don't even have to be a mom to carry this mental sure. load. I've, I've talked to married couples that mm-hmm. navigate this. Debbie said to me one time, you know what I need? I said, what? She said, I need a wife. That's what Debbie <laughs> yes. said. <laughs> yes. I can't tell you how many times I've said, I want my own pastor's wife. <laughs> uh, there you go. Well, so in, in the second podcast, when um, uh, she was facing the headwinds about being a pastor and a mom, it, um, I, and then sh- so the church t- st- stepped in. A woman volunteered to tend to her children mm-hmm. so she could be a pastor, mm-hmm. right? That was mm-hmm. Maria? Yep. Um, it occurred to me listening to it that Debbie, who was a behavior disorder teacher when our youngest was four, never had that conflict. Right. Never had to deal with that. Um, Debbie um, had a lady in the church who said, yeah, I'll tend to Dan, who was four. He wasn't able to be in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And so Dan went to preschool and then went to Joni Wakefield's house for an afternoon. Mm -hmm. The church stepped in to help Debbie be a behavior disorder teacher. Yep. And nobody nobody had nobody nobody questioned right. the the appropriateness of Debbie being a teacher. Right. Nobody has said, Oh, you well, you should be home. At least nobody said it to us anyway. So why okay, so that's so interesting because it just hit me. When a man goes into ministry, yeah, it is seen as so selfless and so giving <laughs> and so generous and oh my goodness, look at that, look at him serve. And sacrifice so much. Sacrifice so much. When a woman in ministry goes into ministry and she has children, it's how Uh self-seeking, how how self-promoting. That's interesting. How selfish. Um, Doesn't she know she has children at home? Uh, Those are the narratives that I have heard. When I became a pastor in Pasadena, it was, why would she do that? She has has children at home. That's self-seeking. That's self-promoting. And there is just such a difference because when women take that that seat of confidence, it has it is seen as overconfident, it's seen as self-promoting. But when men do it, oh, how sacrificial! Oh, that's right. yeah. So so many things uh, that I listen to, um, I I could understand, but I never, but I but I but I never had to, I never had to deal with any of those things. Mm-hmm. For for the, another another important part of the conversation you've had with uh, these three ladies was um, their understanding of their own identity as pastor mm-hmm. and how hard it was for them to come to an understanding of themselves mm-hmm. as pastor, mm-hmm. regardless of others. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't it just wasn't in their imagination. So, I mean, I've experienced that in my church. Right? I have on staff four female pastors. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, That's unusual. You want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, in like a beautiful way. Right. Because and I I mean, it's unusual because so many evangelical churches that have become egalitarian, if Mm -hmm. you will, um, they they suddenly think that they are card carrying egalitarian for (laughs) women in ministry because they have one female preacher Um, that that pops in every now and then. So, for example, and we'll we'll get back to the four women on your staff. But I think this is really important because we know that tokenism is actually harmful. Um, what tokenism does is it communicates that there is room at the table for one person like me um, only. 
And what that ends up doing is, is so for women, for example, it pits women up against one another to fight for that single t- seat. Because if then if there is more than one woman um, preaching or leading, well, then it then it's too much. Then women are trying to take over. Right. And That's so hilarious. so there's this new trend that I'm observing with uh, larger churches uh, that have the means to do this. Um, they, they create a teaching and preaching team. And um, there's this new thing where you can have teaching pastors who don't actually live in your community. Right? Okay. And so what, what, what they're doing mm. is they're finding these rock star female preachers uh, with incredible gifts. Praise God. Um, some of them, my friends, um, these are usually women that have book deals, mm-hmm. right? And they are put on these churches' websites as teaching pastor. And they are flown out there two to four times a year to teach or preach. And so what that does and and why that is so problematic and hurtful, number one, it communicates again, we have room at the table for one female preacher. Not only that, but unless you have these book deals, unless you Mm -hmm. preach like that, um, unless you are the knock it out of the park, best preacher um, in the nation, then there's, there's not room for you at the table. And so, so many women then end up disqualifying themselves. Because they look at that and they think, well, not only was there one seat at that table for me, but I'm not that. And so their calls then, I think, are, are just continuing to be, I guess, disnurtured, if you will, or unnurtured. So that was the other thing that I picked up on was the, the it was oftentimes the case that if you are a woman pastor, you are the only woman pastor at the table of men pastors. Yes. That has its own which that Stress. was me for years. That's, I that mean, has its own tension. Yeah, I mean the story of of you going on the K Church cruise and Jeff being a pastor's wife <laughs> was hilarious. But you're the only yeah. woman on the. You're the only woman among all those pastors. Yeah. Well, and well, well you and have it, to and represent all women, right? And in Chicagoland, there is um, there's a group of I don't know fifty large church pastors uh-huh. that all get together and hang out. Okay. And. How many women do you think are on it? I have no idea. Zero. Really? Zero. Yeah, since I was just recently invited on it, because um, I passed, happened yeah. to pastor a church that's, that's larger for uh-huh. Chicagoland area, and I'm going to be the only woman. And this has been my experience. Well, what does that, be, what does that feel like? What is oh, it, man. No, it, you so know, what's it feel like? So, so you have the people, um, the male pastors on there that are, again, fully egalitarian. Sure. And so they'll lean yeah. in with a lot of like... Yeah, yeah generosity and hospitality. Then you have men that just don't even know what to do with me. And I would say that's more the norm when I step into those circles. They just do not know what to do because it's it disrupts um, what they have been so used to. And so I think for me, because that's been my world for two decades now, um, I've learned how to do those gymnastics. But I would say early on, um, it caused me, like I, I, my temptation has always been to take up less space in those those rooms. Oh, that's don't take really up too much important. space. If I take up too much space, then I won't be welcome. If I take up too much space, then um, again I'll seen, be seen as self promoting. So I make myself smaller in those settings. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, I I completely get that. So so you have to diminish yourself mm-hmm. as a fully called, fully trained. Uh, have have as much right to be there in that room as anybody else mm-hmm. in the room, but you have to diminish yourself because you're the only woman. Can't be too much. You can't be too much. Can't, can't be too much. Can't be too emotional. Can't take up too much space. 
um, there is a temptation to take up the part of the expected cultural norms that women are expected to oh, be. Oh, that's interesting. And so you kind of learn like how to code switch um, in Ugh. these spaces. Um, as a woman in ministry, kind of some of this code switching and um, becoming like reptilian, if you will, like where you like just, yeah. I don't know if that's yeah. the right word. Maybe it's not reptilian. Chameleon. chameleon that's yeah. I don't yeah. want to become reptilian. Yeah, let's be chameleon. I, yes, I, I can become code a chameleon. Code switching is the right word though, right? Code yeah. switching means yeah, to speak in the language that they're... Speak in the language. Yep. Speak in the language and um, and definitely don't talk about your challenges as a woman. Like don't, don't, don't talk about it. And when you hear, and so I can't tell you how many times I've been in spaces like that and the things that men will say because they're so used to being able to mm-hmm. speak so freely in a room full mm-hmm. of other male pastors, uh, I, it's, I don't correct it. You, you know, I, No, you don't have the authority to correct it as the only woman in the room. No, because... Because then I'm, um, well, you know, I'm a B word, yes. right? And then no, uh, who wants to be around that? Oh, but it's emotionally exhausting. You have to leave those meetings exhausted. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. you have to be so self-aware all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other people in the room don't have to be that self-aware. They can just be who they are, right? Right, right. that's right. Well, that's one of the things that I, that I that I picked up on was the pressure for women in ministry when they're the only ones at the table, mm-hmm. and what that does to mm-hmm. what that does to a person. I think a lot of women, unless you are some of those, because there are women out there like you know the Christine Canes of this world who are just going to walk into a room and take up a mm-hmm. lot of space, and because mm-hmm. she has just this incredible mm-hmm. authority, and she can. Um, I think a lot of women um, are going to make themselves smaller. Well, that's that makes me sad. Yeah. Wow. So, but 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 there's also um, women by virtue of being conformed to the culture who do have a really really hard time seeing themselves as pastors as well. I mean, they've been told they can't be pastors, and so they feel this compulsion, this call to minister, and they are either missionaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they're children's pastors, right? Or they're women's pastors. Right. They have a very re- de- defined, constrained role. Right. Right. So um, I have a children's pastor at College Church, mm-hmm. and so we have four women pastors, mm-hmm. and um, she came from a complementarian church, and um, she was the director of children's ministry at that church. Mm-hmm. She wasn't the pastor, mm-hmm. children's pastor. She was the director. Um, I don't think she does her job at college church any differently than she did at the other church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But when I called her pastor, she refused to. She said, "I I'm, I can't be a pastor." I said, "Who said you can't be a pastor?" Mm-hmm. And she said, "Well, the Bible says I can't be a pastor." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, you need to read the Bible a little more carefully mm-hmm. because you can be." Mm-hmm. And it took her probably five years before she was fully comfortable with the understanding of herself mm-hmm. as pastor with a, with every bit as much authority as any man has. Right, right. Um, and, um, but she said, well, I'm not preaching. Hmm. I can't, I'm a pastor, but I'm not, I can't preach. And hmm. so I've been, I mean, we've been, we've worked together for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love each other. And so two weeks ago, she preached for the first time in her life. Uh, wow. As a. <laughs> I love that. Can we just celebrate that? Oh, it was so like, cool. Like, what a journey. Oh, it was so cool. And she's not, she couldn't be ordained in her tradition. Uh-huh. Um, she was 30 years of ch- director of children's ministries mm-hmm. at the Southern Church. She's been at College Church for 10 years. 
And um, she never thought she could be ordained. And we're going, she's going to complete her her ordination qualifications. And wow. we're going to have her be ordained as fulfillment, not as inaugural. Wow. As affirmation of yep. all of those years that yeah. she spent in ministry. Wow. But she had a really difficult time of seeing herself as a pastor. And mm -hmm. I think most, I think in a lot of contexts, um, women are hobbled. Is that the yeah. word? Yeah. I don't know what the word would be. Um, she finally said to me, Pastor Sir, Sherry said to me, well, I had a call when I was five. Hmm. I just didn't realize I could. Oh, do you know how often I hear that? Really? Oh, my goodness. So many women will reflect later in their life and say, you know, when I was little, mm -hmm. like real little, mm -hmm. I'd say I would stand with the Bible in my room and then start preaching. When I was little, hmm. I, that's what I wanted to be. But then something shifts. That is such a culturally formed understanding of It is of culturally gospel. formed. That's right. Uh, yep. So I felt bad for that. And another thing I realized um, was the responsibility that men have for nurturing the possibility for women, women to be pastors, because that was yeah. another that was another theme. Yeah. That all of these all these women had, I mean, served in church. Mm -hmm. It didn't dawn on them that they could be a pastor mm -hmm. until the pastor said, you should, I'm, I'm inviting you to preach. Right. Or, right. Or would you consider applying for this role as kids director? Right. Um, or, it, I mean, so I was called into ministry at 16 years old. And Mark, you've you've lovingly called me a mystic before. You, are you know, a, mystic. I, a little bit of mystical. And part of my call to ministry was because of a very mystical moment, right? right. Where, I had an encounter, and from that moment on, I never looked back. And at the same time, I didn't know what that was going to be or what that was going to look like. And it was a mixture of different male leaders in my life opening up the doors for me, um, giving me opportunities to preach, sending me to seminary. And I think, you know, for the churches that are going to struggle with an imagination issue because we are not seeing women, mm -hmm. I absolutely put that ownness mm -hmm. mantle, if yes. you will, on male pastors, right? Because, like, the effectiveness of coming alongside of someone and nurturing those gifts and helping them see those gifts is significant. Just like for the male pastors that are listening right now, I want you to look out at your congregation next time you're preaching. Just look out of the sea of people and notice then. Let's just say 55% of them are women, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I don't know if that statistic is true. I just, yeah, it's close. Yeah, we're just going with gut right now, folks. Um, how many Might statistics are made up on the spot? Yeah, right, just 90%. made one up. Okay, but, but truly, okay, listen up, male pastors. Um, next time you're preaching, just take a mental note of how many women you see out there. I guarantee you, those people sitting in the pews, that there are women with gifts to teach to pastor, to preach, to lead, and to evangelize. And they are completely unaware because they have been shaped within a culture that has told them they can't, mm -hmm. and no one has nurtured that within them. And what would happen, pastors, if you tap them on the shoulder one day and said, I see something in you. I right. see a gifting in you. My goodness, how many Sherry's are there 
out there? How many gens are there right. out there on your like like the ones on your staff? So my executive administrator, executive pastor uh, Jen Johnson, uh, felt a call to minister, called to be a pastor mm-hmm. once she assumed responsibility as administrator. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is her story. I hope she's okay with me saying it. But she was praying over an intern, a woman intern at the altar, and the Lord told her this should be you. And so she kicked against it for a while because, again, it was a little beyond her ability to appreciate herself as having the authority as a man might have. Mm-hmm. And so her argument with the Lord was you can be pastoral without having to be a pastor. <laughs> um, but she's going to be ordained in, in a year. Mm-hmm. She has finished an MA in theology and awesome. is working on her MDiv. But I've but there have been others in my church who have done this. So our uh, we have a, an African-American song leader who came up to her one day and said, you know, Jen, you're, you ought to be a pastor because you're mm-hmm. a pastor. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't been only my voice that has spoken into um, the women of our church who are now pastors. But Sherry, I just refused to let it go. I said, Sherry, you're a pastor. Sorry, you're a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I can never be a pastor. And so for three years, we just had this running argument and I would not let it go. No, Sherry, you're a pastor. So I wonder if you could speak for a moment, um, you know, because I'm just curious, like okay. for you as a male pastor, you you would understand what some of the fears are that are holding men back mm-hmm. from um, nurturing these gifts within women or maybe some of the theological um, mm. barriers or the cultural norms. Mm-hmm. Like what is it? So, and I ask because for me, one of the things that I have felt over the years, and now like we're just getting like real honest here and vulnerable. Here we go. Here we go. Is that for me, like I often feel like men are afraid of me, right? Like this fear of, Mm -hmm. well, I'm a temptation. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, you know, my body is is Mm -hmm. um, inhibiting that that. Mm -hmm. That, you know, oh, the appearance. And so, like, for years, I felt shame over um, over my body or over, you know, just this, like, what's wrong with me? Like, men are afraid of me. They're, you know, e- e- because, and yes, like, I had those experience of men nurturing gifts within me. But more often than not, like, I felt that fear. Is that just a fear that I'm projecting? Or is that something that men are actually feeling? Oh, man, that's a really good question. We're getting deep. Uh, well, yeah, we're just getting real honest, right? So, um, you know, a man and a woman who are not married ought not to be in the same room together. By right. themselves. Right. Like we are. Right. Right. <laughs> right. The, you know, that's Billy the Graham Billy Graham rule. That's right? a Billy Graham rule. Well, oh. And I was embedded. In, when, so when I first started off in ministry, I had I adhered to the Billy Graham rule. Oh, yeah. Because I did not want to tempt my brothers. Um, no front hugs, um, only side hugs. Yeah. Um, and again, take up less space. Oh, that is. Yes. Yeah. The woman is the problem. The woman's the problem. From Genesis 2. Right. Oh, Genesis right. 3. I think it's Genesis 3. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in the beginning in the, of the Bible. <laughs> first three chapters Welcome of Genesis. Welcome to the pastor's table, friends. We've been to... We've been we to Sunday school. Biblical scholars. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but I have, I have, Christianity is supposed to be countercultural and women are not supposed to be sex objects mm-hmm. and men and women are supposed to have brother, sister relationships in the mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Now it's, there's no sin in a brother and sister sitting in a room together. Right. Right. What, what, what does it say about us that we cannot have a relationship 
with a person of the opposite gender without it being sexualized in right. some way. Right. That is a that is a cultural conformity. Yes. That is an accommodation to a sexualized culture. Mm-hmm. And I determined many years ago to not accommodate a sexualized culture and be fairly free and easy around women. Hmm. They're my sisters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a wife. I'm in love with Debbie. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to I'm never going to ever be married to anybody else besides mm-hmm. Debbie, mm-hmm. which gives me liberty and freedom to be with other women as sisters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, for, I don't know, I shouldn't say this, but eight years, I had an executive administrator at Belleville, and it was a small church, and she and I were in the church all week long together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She had an office across the hall. I had an office, and we were best friends. Yep. And she was best friends with Debbie. Yep. So this this fear of the other yep. uh, for sexual reasons is an acquiescence to a sexualized culture that Christianity ought to be speaking into. Oh, can we just like have a mic drop? Like, that's so well, we good. should. I mean, right, right. We should. So yes, I think men are sometimes yep. afraid of women, and some and and I mean, you entering a room means I have to kind of be careful about what I say and what I. How I speak, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no kidding. Why? Why does a woman change that equation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So I can be a little misogynist with a bunch of men, but I mm-hmm. can't be if the woman comes into the room. No, right. you can't be misogynist at all. Right. No, forget it. Right. So, so, so maybe for that reason, there needs to be more more women in the room. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what is it about women in ministry that are threatening to men? I, I don't know. I can't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have determined to embrace the Christian ethic, Paul Paul and his women cohort, co-pastors, mm-hmm. is the model. Yeah, Jesus right. is the model in relationships between that's genders. Right. That's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, I th- I, yeah, it's an acquiescence to a sexualized culture. Yeah. I, I'll just keep repeating myself. So yeah. I determined, no, no, we're brothers and sisters yep. in Christ. Yep, yep. And we all have equal authority. Furthermore... The reflection of the image of God is not a man. The reflection yeah. of the image of God is men and women together, and that's Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Genesis 2. Yep. In in his image, he created them male and female. Mm-hmm. And if you only have a male voice in the pulpit, you're hearing half God. Hmm. Wow. Yep. Yep. The preaching of women brings a different sensitivity and a different hermeneutic and a different, uh, a different experience, mm-hmm. and there is a different portrayal of God when a woman preaches than when a man preaches. Right, right. And I need to hear. We had Deirdre Barrelatz as a. I always try to have a woman evangelist mm-hmm. at all of mm-hmm. that every mm-hmm. year. So we have two mm-hmm. revivals, and mm-hmm. one's a guy and one's a girl. Mm-hmm. We always have Deirdre Barrelatz coming, and she had messages that were formed by her understanding of herself as a woman that I, she, she had insight into scripture that oh, yeah. I never would have Oh yeah, by yep. virtue of her being a woman reading the text. Yep. And yep. that was important for me to hear her understanding of the text by virtue of, yep. I mean, that was a different understanding of the Lord that for, she brought to the table. First time I ever preached about Mary, mother of Jesus, uh, someone came up to me and said, Thank God, it is about time. I'm tired of hearing these men <laughs> preaching about Mother Mary. 
What do they know? It is so great to hear a woman reflect on Mary giving birth, Mary being pregnant. That is a that is a that is a part of the image of women are God image bearers as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So so it was a conviction of mine that the church needed to hear from women, or they would not be hearing yep. about the God who is. Praise God. Praise God. So, but the but so. But men have a res- men have the power. Yes, they do. Um, I have I have responsibility as pastor to reveal the fullness of God to my people, mm-hmm. which means women have to be in the pulpit regularly and distribute the power within the preaching, within the authority, within the pastoring. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen Johnson, the executive minister of the church, mm-hmm. as a woman. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 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 it it gets it's really sometimes difficult. Because not everybody gets it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll walk by her desk to talk to the pastor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That used to happen more. It's happening less and less. Mm-hmm. Now it's working out, and I'm really happy about it. It's working out that if I'm at my desk and she's not at hers in the outer mm-hmm. office, uh, they'll stop and say, well, I really did just want to talk to Jen. And they'll I turn around it. leave me all alone. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. but, but, but. Men, men pastors have to nurture mm-hmm. and make room. Mm-hmm. Um, and grow an awareness of the challenges that women are experiencing and navigating. You, uh, you confess that. You, you, made a con- you made a confession, Mark, which I think is a wonderful confession. Oh, here we go. Tell us, I mean, be- and, and you read us a, a quote. I did. Um, as we were preparing, and I just... I mean, I wanted to run laps and flip some tables when you like wanted to flip the table that we're sitting at right now when you read it because it was so good. I didn't know it. I didn't. I didn't know how real it was. Yes. That's why I read it to you because it's, I needed to know if it was. Oh, if it was true. Everyone. And so I just want to say, sisters, when you listen to this uh, quote, find a table to flip, a phone book to rip in half, um, maybe a window to smash, because it's just going to be so validating. And men, I just, I just encourage you to sit. And listen right. and know, yes, this is real. So, so, so those who we, we all have a responsibility be, to become more conscious of other people's stories, l- life stories, what it's like to be in their shoes, uh, ethnicities, mm-hmm. genders. Mm-hmm. We ha- we mm-hmm. have a responsibility to be to make mm-hmm. ourselves aware of of what others' life experiences are. Yep. So, um, so Deb and I went to see Barbie. That's mm-hmm. the confession, right? Mm-hmm. Deb and I went to see mm-hmm. Barbie last night. Did you wear pink? Uh, some people did, yeah, but I didn't. I don't think Debbie did. So anyway, um, because it's a thing. It is a thing, and I wanted to. I wanted. To, I know I people what, that I've seen it three times in a week. I'm going to go see it again. Yeah, it was powerful. Yeah, it, Debbie laughed so hard. I laughed so hard. It was so. Ryan Gosling is so stinking funny. That's what I hear. And oh, and um, oh, it was so funny. It was a little. It's all over the top. It's like a musical. If you go thinking it's a musical, you'll do better. Because okay. there's dance scenes okay. and there's singing and Ryan plays guitar. Good and it know. does tease, it doesn't mock men, it teases men, and which is why some really didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But it, but it, it is not a, it is not a, it is not about power to the woman. It is a movie about the state of womanhood in the United States of America mm-hmm. in a patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's really well done. Mm. Go see it. If you want your conscious level raised a little bit go see it go see it love it and so um um 
And it's not woke for all of those who think it's woke. It's not woke. <laughs> so over that word. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. So we went and it was. And so I, if you haven't seen it, maybe you want to stop listening for a minute. But there is a climactic scene in which Barbie is Barbie's now entering into the real world. She's leaving her make-believe world where it's all women and Ken is an appendage. It's mm. Barbie and Ken. And there's a real coming to awareness scene in which Ken complains about always being appendage to Barbie. Mm. So it's it's egalitarian in its recognition of identity crises in mm -hmm. both men and women. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the, there's a, this climactic scene where uh, the, an Hispanic woman talks about how hard it is to be a woman mm -hmm. today. And so I read it to Terabath earlier because I wasn't sure if it... I, I believed it. it. It was obviously her experience. Um, but Tara Beth just went, I mean, sh yes. So here's what, here's the quote. And I'm taking, so if you don't want to, if you don't want me to ruin the movie, turn it off for the next, don't listen for the next 15 seconds. But here's what she says. It's, she's talking to Barbie. It's literally impossible to be a woman. You are so beautiful, so smart. And it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like we always have to be extraordinary, but somehow we are always doing it wrong. You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the time. You have to be a career-driven, but also always looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you are accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be part of sisterhood. Always stand out and always be grateful, but never forget that the system is rigged, so find a way to acknowledge that, but always, always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line if it's... It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out that not only are we doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I'm just tired from watching myself and every single other woman tie themselves into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll, just representing a woman, then I don't even know. Wow. Every single example there struck a chord for me. Wow. It's real. Well, so if I, if I have a takeaway from listening to the last four podcasts, it's that uh, men pastors have a responsibility to be aware of the challenges that women pastors face. Yeah. And, and to not be part of that problem. And then my encouragement for the women is to take up more space, hmm. not less. Walk in those rooms with the authority and power that God has granted you. And when God grants us authority, yes. we take up more space yes. and not less. And so may you walk into those rooms, taking up the space, taking on the authority um, with purpose. And so we are so glad you listened again. And um, I'm grateful to Tara Beth for her interviewing other women pastors and for how it has helped me understand better. And uh, we're hoping these are an encouragement to you, enabling you to do better the call that God has given to you. Uh, we believe in pastoral ministry for men and women. And we just pray God's richest blessings and uh, on your life 
and on your ministry. Yep. Until next time, friends, may God bless you. The music on this podcast is Radiant Church by 1111 Worship. And the podcast is produced by Chaz Robbins at Hope Story Media.